Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. All right, my wife will begin reading Genesis chapter 37, 1 through 36, 36 verses. You can begin reading. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father." So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. 
And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then... Sorry. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. What'd they do? They killed a kid of the goats and dipped the tunic in the blood. Dipped it in what? The blood. Say the blood. The blood. And then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. And all the church said amen. amen. Wonderful. Thank you, honey. You may have your seats. I know that was a long reading. Um, outside of the four gospel accounts, uh, this is just me. Everybody has their own favorites. But outside of the four gospel accounts of Jesus's life, the story of Joseph is by far for me my favorite. Um, I think there are many, many reasons for that. Uh, one is I, I feel I have a personal connection with the life of Joseph, what he went through being the younger brother. I'm the younger brother. There's some little parallels. You ever found somebody in the scripture that you have a type of, you can relate to, you can kind of see yourself in the storyline? Well, that's, that's, uh, that's the story of, of Joseph for me. And um, there's one other reason why I really like this story. I, I can truly see Jesus in the story of Joseph. I can truly see him. Can you see it? I mean, all these little parallels that, that I'm seeing. First of all, Joseph was a shepherd. Jesus is the great shepherd. You got Joseph who was stripped of his tunic of many colors. You have Jesus who was stripped of his, you know, his garments. Remember, it says that they took his garment off and ripped it and cast lots. Joseph was thrown in the pit. Jesus went down into the belly of the earth, the Bible says, and took the keys from the devil. Are you guys following me? Joseph was sold for what? 20 shekels of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 shekels of silver. Joseph, I saw this in the story uh, today, even as I was reading and going through it. Uh, Joseph got sold into Egypt, ran, he got sold into Egypt. So he got sold into Egypt. When Jesus was little and he was an infant, Joseph, his dad, I didn't think about that. Wow. Joseph, his uh, earthly father, had to flee to Egypt to get 
Do you put Jesus in a safe place? Do you see that? After Joseph suffered because of what his brothers did, he rose into power and authority. Remember how Jesus suffered on the cross and then he rose to the right hand of the throne of God? Come on, I mean, you see Jesus all throughout these scriptures. And even though Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and he could have repaid them for evil, he actually repays them for good and becomes a type and shadow of a savior. You see that he saved his brothers. So all throughout scriptures, Jesus said it like this. Remember when he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he says about the scriptures, he says, they testify of me. All throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you are literally seeing foreshadows of Jesus. All throughout the scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and one bad, I mean, Abednego. You'll get it later. It's from where I grew up. I'm sorry. It sometimes just comes out. You'll get it later. All the Caucasians are like, what is he talking about? It's all right. You see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see what's called maybe an angel of the Lord. Yet this angel receives worship where they bow down. So this is a type and shadow of Jesus all throughout scriptures. Moses is a type and shadow. Remember when he said, Jesus said of himself, he said, even as Moses lifted up the, uh, the, the, the stick in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. Come on. The scriptures are testifying of Jesus. And he's testifying of himself through the life of Joseph. And Joseph is a prime, how do I say this? He's the pinnacle of, how do I say this? He's a prime example on how to suffer well and how to enter into the promises of God. We've got so many people in scripture who are examples of how not to respond to pain, how not to respond to trial, how not to respond to tragedy, how not to respond to betrayal. Come on, somebody say amen. Jesus is a perfect example of this. I want want to preach this message this morning. It's called, what is it called? I forgot what it's called. What keeps you from the courts? See, I used to study, now the Lord studies me and just pulls things out. So I kind of forgot there for a moment. What keeps you from the courts of the Lord? Last week, we studied Absalom. Say types and shadows. Types and shadows. Absalom. Can I walk around? I see people, I started, ever since I started walking around, nobody's in the front row on the right side anymore. It's like I, you know, they're scared. So we see Absalom. Who's Absalom? We, taught, we, we learned this last week. Absalom was David's, he was his son. Say his son. And the Bible says that after Absalom killed his own brother, the, the, the murder was questionable why he did it. But nonetheless, David, his father, King David, say King David, gets mad and, and ostracizes Absalom. He excommunicated him sends him out of the city. And guess how long he doesn't see him? For two years, his own son. And then the Bible says, David allowed him back in the kingdom, but would not allow Absalom to see his father's face for two more years. Okay, that's like you excommunicating me 
from my city and then I'm living in one of your homes and I don't see you, you don't allow me to see you for two years. It's a big deal. They're in close proximity, but the king doesn't allow him to see. And I believe this is one of the reasons why he allowed him to sit there for two years. Because there's some people, if we relate this to ministry, because I feel God doing a new thing. How many feel God doing a new thing? Even within the leadership, the church, I'm not talking about ascension, I'm talking about everywhere. How God prepares people. You know what I do when somebody wants to get in ministry? Sit them down. That's what I do. Sit them down. Like sit there. Let the Holy Spirit do a work in you until he works out every single desire out of you to lead. And then when he's developed Christ-like character in you and you don't want to lead anymore, that's a sign of a good leader. A sign of a good leader is not wanting to lead because they have the wisdom to know that comes at a high price. I mean, who wants to get up and fight demons every single day? Who wants to, I mean... Really, when you start leading, the more impactful you become in God's kingdom, the more of a target you become. Yes, God will elevate you more. Yes, God will give you more grace, but it comes at a high price. And so we see Absalom, finally, David, well, Absalom, what he does is he has, because he wants to see his dad, his dad doesn't allow him the time of day, so Absalom has his dad's right hand's man, his field burned to a crisp. You see the manipulation? He starts creating fires. You know how people do that in a church when they don't get the leadership position? They start creating fires to get recognized so that they can make their way into leadership. Well, David folds, and this is a, this is a weakness in David. David folds because his son tries to get his attention. But then four years later, guess what happens? Because David folded and allowed him to be promoted when he wasn't ready, he tries to destroy David's kingdom. And it says that he was not allowed in the courts of the Lord for two years. David allows him in the courts. And what does he do? He tries to destroy David's kingdom. And, and here we, we talked about what's keeping you from the courts. And one thing that was keeping him from the courts was character issues. He wasn't smoking. He wasn't drinking. He wasn't doing any of these types of things. But he had a thirst for power something that's less traceable in the kingdom. Like we talk about people who live a certain lifestyle or they're drinking or on drugs or they're mean or they're, they're gossipers. That's easy to see. But there was something in his life that could not be seen with an untrained eye. It took spiritual eyesight. And so what we're seeing in the story of Joseph is polar opposite, but it's still contrasting. You have somebody who works in what ended up happening to Joseph. He got brought to the courts, but he made his way there the right way. It took him 13 years to get there. But by the time he got there to become the ambassador of Egypt and became the second most powerful man in all of the world, it was a world power. Say Egypt was a world power at the time. Do you see how Jesus, uh, excuse me, Joseph, Jesus, the parallel. Do you see how Joseph is kind of a bit of a tattletale? Daddy's boy or mama's boy like I was. He's telling on his brothers. You see all these weak characteristics. God gives him a dream, calls him, but just because God showed up to him, revealed himself to him, revealed himself to Joseph in that type of dynamic way did not mean Joseph was ready for the promise. He wasn't ready for the place of leadership. I've seen so I the past 21 years I've watched a shift in the body of Christ. Absolute shift. Who's here a little older? I know I'm just starting to gray. I'm not super old, but okay. We've seen these different moves throughout history. I have seen the Word of Faith movement, and I've seen the healing movement, haven't we? 
we see, does everybody know what the word of faith means? Like the teaching movement. Everything was about teaching, 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 teaching. Now, if a church tries to remain in that vein now, you'll see the church die. Why? Because God's no longer breathing on that anymore. That's not what God is doing. And you, 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 we've seen the movement of the healing crew. Now, nothing wrong with that. I believe God is still healing and God is still teaching. Don't get me wrong. God is still doing those things. I'm talking about like a, a, a special anointing on what God is doing. Now, what you see God doing is bringing his people through hardship, pain, and trial. That's the, that's the season we're in. Why? Because it says when Jesus comes back, he's coming for what? And trials have a way of purifying the person or the body, making it ready for what God wants to do. So what is God allowing? There's, I guarantee you there is not one person who's in this room or under the sound of my voice who's not facing some type of trial. That trial may... Its face may uh, look like maybe a child is going through something that you have no control of. Maybe they're wayward. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're rejecting God. Maybe they've walked away from the church. Or maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe it's betrayal. Maybe it's something. But God is allowing something, positioning you just right to bring you through something so he can bring you to something. Am I preaching to the right people? Or is it the Greek Orthodox Church down the road that I gotta go preach this to? Because it's for somebody. Why does God do that? He does it because he's way more, and you hear me say this all the time, he's way more concerned with Christ-like character in the believer than he is promoting you. He does not care about promoting you. As a matter of fact, if he knows the promotion will draw you away from him, he will not promote you. He'll let you sit there. Because his promotions, he wants you to bring you closer to him. Am I talking to you this morning? God's all about developing the characteristics of Christ in every single person. I want, I want, to, give you, I want, to, give you some, I want to give you some of these examples of, of people. No, I'm not going to do it. Do we have that picture up on the screen? Do we have the, the tabernacle? We have the tabernacle? I thought this was so cool. Can I just be myself? Can I? They're like, he's going to do it anyway. I've been here for three years. I know it's a cheesy picture, but I don't care. It's just, you know. Everybody say this is the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. I wish I had a laser so I can point things. I'm going to get a little deep. Can we go for a swim? Okay. Now, this is what is called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. This just dropped on me this morning. And you see on the outside, you see all these tents. Now, now Joseph is, represents one of these tents because this is not called the outer court. This is where all the Israelites gathered around as they, the, the, the tent of meeting was like a, uh, a church that was mobile. They took it, they would park somewhere for a little while and they would keep moving on. It was kind of a, like a mobile tent or a mobile church is really what it was. But on the outside, you see the children of Israel. Well, there's, there, there's 12 tents that are around the tabernacle, say 12. Those 12 represent the tribes of Israel, 12. Say there's 12. So Issachar, Judah, and the rest of them, and Joseph. Now, now also Jesus, when Jesus Christ died, how many, how many apostles did he, did he choose? He chose 12. Now listen, when Jesus is talked before he ascends, he talks to the apostles and says, you will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Are y'all following me? So in this layout, I'm going to go through the layout with you really quickly, okay? 
And this is what I believe is going to be the process that God uses and he used in Joseph's life and we're gonna travel through Joseph's life and we're gonna show, we're gonna show, we're gonna show each other. I was gonna say, I was gonna show you, but we're gonna learn together how God's process looks in getting you into his courts. How many wanna be in the courts of the Lord? Do you know what the courts of the Lord is? The courts of the Lord are beyond the veil because most people spend their time parking outside of the veil, seeing church from the outside. And, and some people come into the inner court and that's enough for them. They understand the sacrifice, which would be, let me just go through these elements. So, so first, can I teach? So you see what's called the altar of sacrifice. That's the altar of sacrifice. Let me just point over here. This, I'm not tall enough. This is the altar of sacrifice. Say the altar of sacrifice. This is where we come in and we, we sacrifice our lives to the Lord. That's one phase. We give our lives to Jesus. Remember earlier, I believe I was speaking under the unction of the Spirit, like God will not, He doesn't settle for just one thing in your life. Like He wants all of you or none of you. Do you remember the young rich ruler who came to Jesus and tried to reserve something for himself? Jesus called him to be a disciple or an apostle actually, and he resisted because he still had the love of money that can keep you from going into the inner court. It just, all it takes, what am I trying to produce here? What's your goal, pastor, to berate us? No, it's not that. We need a healthy, holy fear of God in the church once again. So there's the sacrifice, coming to an understanding that Jesus bled and he died for you, but it doesn't stop there. That's the outer court. Then they go to, to the laver, the golden or the, or the brazen laver, which is where they would wash the blood off of themselves to purify themselves. Say purify. Notice it doesn't say that Jesus purified you. Jesus will empower you, but he actually requires you to purify you. The Bible says purify yourself. Did y'all know that? There's a partnership with you and God. In other words, he's not gonna like come and just knock the, 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 the monitor over and say, stop watching that. You have to put the software on there to protect yourself from yourself. So they wash us up. Then he goes in what's called the holy place. Say the holy place. That's beyond the door right there. There's a total of seven pieces of furniture. I kind of want to go into that. Can I do that? And I'm gonna show you how Joseph responded and he did all these things, went through each one of these sacraments to get into the Holy of Holies. What is the Holy of Holies for him? He was able to get into the courts of Pharaoh who represent, who is a type and shadow of the King of Kings. Not the king because he was an ungodly king, but he still made room. It's a, it's a shadow, a type and shadow. Say a type and a shadow. And, and I'm going to show you what Joseph did in order to get there because there, we can get there. Unfortunately, the, tr the, the body of Christ doesn't dwell there, but we're going to get there. Say we're going to get there. Okay. So there's, there's seven elements. So we've, we've got, we've got here, we've got the, the brazen, uh, we've got the altar, we've got the laver. We've also got the, the lampstand. See the, see the lampstand right there. Now that's one of the first things you see. Who does that represent? It gives light to the room. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He represented the light of life, or he was the actual, uh, he was the candle. And then to the right, you had the table of showbread. Say showbread. Who do you think that represented? 
the body of Christ. Now, you gotta understand that this is thousands of years before Jesus came. The tabernacle is so set up to represent Jesus Christ himself. You gotta understand, it's types and shadows. The scriptures declare this of him. Amen. And then you have in front of the, the veil, say the veil. It was the incense. Okay. What does that represent? Prayer. I could just park right there just for a moment. You, do you see it right in front of the, the veil? You can't. It's kind of pixeled a little bit. It's because most people try to get there without this main element, which is prayer and which is an intercession. Now, it's not just words, because prayer in biblical times were a time to get intimate with the Lord. The other stuff is duty. And, and it's God saying, you cannot enter into the holy of holies until you pray. Any great movement that I've ever seen ever in the body of Christ, it was hinged on prayer. When, you, when we talk about Azusa Street, 1906, we could talk about that. It was bathed and birthed in prayer and intercession. This is why God began to heal so supernaturally. This is why the glory of God dwelt there, is because of prayer and because of intercession. Now, lastly, we see what's called the Ark of the Covenant, and you see the smoke going up. And that was where the priest would come in, and he would sprinkle the blood from that he got from the altar, which would be from a spotless lamb, sprinkle it on the altar, and the glory of God dwelt there. Most people want to get into the Holy of Holies, but don't want to pay the price in order to get there. They don't want to get through Jesus, which would be the altar of sacrifice. You got to come in by the what? By the, what was, what was, what was Joseph's coat dipped in? I forgot to tell you about that. The Holy Spirit dropped that on me this morning. Never heard it preached before. But it, why was it dipped? It wasn't sheep's blood. It wasn't a lamb's blood. Why was it a goat's blood? Because Jesus was our scapegoat. See, we always read the story about the, the, the lamb. Is this too heavy? We always hear about the lamb, but there was a goat that was involved. Did you know that in the sacrifice? The priest would lay his hands from the goat and he would transfer the sins over onto the lamb and they would slay the lamb and they would smack the goat on the rear and the goat would go running called the scapegoat. Did you know that? Isn't that powerful? So through so, so all these things, I, I, this is what I'm seeing. Watch this, read this. Psalms 84 verse two. My soul longs, I love this, even faints for what? Say it. The courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Everybody say, Lord, take us into your courts. Now, this is two things I want to draw your attention to. Number one, number one, don't grow frustrated in the process that God brings you through. Can you imagine the frustration of Joseph having a dream? I remember when I had my encounter with the Lord. It was life transforming. It changed everything. It changed the way that I preached. I thought it changed the way that I read my Bible. It was life in one moment, one encounter. But then year after year after year after year, it seemed as if God was not doing anything. You ever felt that way? You have an encounter with the Lord. You get a touch. He shows you something. You're supposed to do this. You're called to that. And then it seems like silence. If anything, trouble starts happening. That ever happened to you? Why? Why does God work that way? Because he wants you to remember when you're in that pickle, what he spoke to you, what he promised you. 
when it gets hard, when it gets lonely, when it doesn't seem he speaks. There's nowhere through Genesis, from Genesis chapter 37 all the way to 50, it doesn't seem as if God is speaking to him at all. We're talking about a 13-year process, but God is speaking, and God is speaking to you. Which way is he speaking? We don't get to choose the way that God speaks. He's speaking through circumstances. Because most of us, let's be honest, this morning I didn't want to bring up the heirloom. But I know this, when you don't obey, he'll stop speaking. When you don't honor him in that moment, by the way, somebody, I'm not saying this, I'm just validating it. Somebody came up after service and said, hey, this is this heirloom, showed me the ring and they said it's of Indian heritage. And they said a mother-in-law passed it, is that right? Yeah, yeah, isn't that powerful? But obey when the Lord speaks because that is the easiest. Like, like I tell my children, I say, you can learn the hard way. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. And he does the, God does that with us. Easy way or hard way? What's the easy way? Obey his word. If you don't obey his word, he'll, he'll go the second degree and try to use people. A loved one, a friend. When you don't listen, he uses pain. He uses hardship. He uses trial. I can only assume that Joseph was a little bit on the selfish side. He was a little bit on the maybe rebellious side and he was the teacher's pet that says some of his characteristics. He was the only one at home. Note that he was 17, not working the fields with his brothers. That that tells me that he had privilege above his brothers and sisters, his older brothers. So it showed a bit of his characteristic. So God knew in his sovereignty, I need to deal with this boy for 13 years. Allow him to go through trial, hardship, pain, betrayal, being ostracized from his brothers. Why? God was working on his character. And here's my encouragement to you this morning. Is everybody receiving something this morning? You have to be careful that you do not give up in the middle of God processing you. The devil, here's what the devil will say. This is only happening to you because God doesn't love you. And and the enemy will get you to start introspecting other people's lives and you see how easy things are on them and you're like, well, I'm a woman of God. I'm a man of God. Why, Why do I have to go through this? And they don't because they're not called to where you are. And God knows if they'll pay the price or not. And you said you would pay the price and now you're in a trial, now you're in a hardship, and now you wanna give up? No, God is using that, he's fashioning you. He's fashioning you, he's getting you ready for a relationship. He's getting you ready for a leadership position. He's getting you ready to be able to handle the pressures of betrayal that will come with that realm in which he's called you to. Let me tell you something. If you cannot handle it in private, you will not handle it publicly. Look at the process of time God used. One thing, one thing about the Lord, he is unpredictable yet predictable. You want to know how I know? Look at the life of Moses. He was called, trained by the Egyptian culture. And then he's ostracized, not allowed back there after he runs. How many years did God process him before he spoke again? 40 years. Process. David, it was 12 or 13 years. You remember when he was anointed as king? 
It was 12 or 13 years that David was hiding in caves, running for his life. What was God doing? Processing him. The same thing he was, because David, did you see that? David had the opportunity to kill Saul. Why didn't he? All the stuff that God was doing within David's heart in private. Do you know if, if, if God would, would have promoted Joseph too soon when he got out of that pit, let's say he got promoted, I guarantee you he would have threw his brothers in that pit. But notice what Joseph does at the end of his life. He embraces his brothers. Why? Why? Because not, not only the pit, but slavery and working in a prison, and we'll get to all of that, what, what Joseph went through, the betrayal of Potiphar's wife lying on him. What did that do? It worked all that ungodliness out of Joseph to make him ready for a place of power. Are y'all hearing me? If you're wanting to do anything in the Lord, anything, say anything. Nudge somebody and say, pastor's talking to you. Some of you, I'm going to come frog splash you. You should have had your coffee. Nudge him. Say, pastor's talking to you. If, if you are frustrated... If you are frustrated and you are not seeing what God spoke to you, I don't care how long it was, how long ago it was. It could have been a year. It could have been two years. It could have been two weeks ago. God is working something out in your life that you cannot see or discern. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm going to tell on pastors and preachers too. Can we tell on ourselves? I'll be gentle. This excites me. Truth excites me. How many get excited about truth? There is not one preacher I know, and I know a whole lot of them. There's not one congregant I've ever known. There is not one man or woman, sorry, honey, not one that doesn't have a blind spot in their life. A blind spot. I'm saying you can tell them about it, and they don't see it, and it's as clear as day. Do you know anybody like that? And when you say something about it, they get really defensive. Anybody know? Do you know someone like that? Yeah. I know lots of people like that. Even I have my own little blind spots. I just can't see them. And you can't see them. And guess what? Because God knows you won't listen to his word and to people, he uses pits. Before he brings you to the palace, he'll use the pit. He'll use prison. He'll use what... And I don't mean, I mean that symbolically, like whatever that prison is for you, God's working his character, your characteristics out of you until his characteristics reside on the inside of you to make you ready so that when God promotes you above the people that hurt you, you won't talk about them because if God gave you that platform too early, you'll talk about the very people who put you in the pit instead of blessing them. The fact that, listen, if you, if when you get blessed, Financially, I feel the Lord leading me in this area. If you get blessed financially or some type of monetary thing and the first people you want to know about it is the people who hurt you, you're not ready for promotion. Man, I wish so-and-so, the one who talked about me, the one who hurt me. That's heavy. That's heavy. You know what God is doing? Can I tell you the new movement that he's doing? It's not necessarily, I'm not saying he, it's not, there's not teaching that shouldn't happen. There should be. Yes, healing should happen, all that. But we are in a movement, and if we don't partner with it, we are in trouble. It is a revival of holiness and purity. How we do church, how we do life, how we work for people, how we carry ourselves through life. And God is like a, with a metal detector. 
looking all through your life, making sure you will bring glory to his name when he promotes you. It's a revival of holiness. It's a revival of purity. And that's what the whole tabernacle is all about. It's, it's how do we get there? You would be surprised how many people want the glory of God. And I'm like, can we just start with getting you to stop lying first? I, I know that's funny, but like, like, can we just get you right privately? Like you want to you get in his secret place, but you won't let him in your secret place? Like we have to let God do a work in us as a church. Revival, somebody asked me, are you ready for revival? Now I preach revival. I mean, I bleed that. If you cut me, I bleed revival. Like in my mind, in my spirit, like yes, revival, yes, uh, awakening, repentance, like the glory of God visiting his people and remaining on them. I absolutely, that's my greatest desire, but I'm telling you right now, church, we are not ready for broken people. We're not ready for an influx. We're not ready for an outpouring of God's spirit until we allow God to deal with the tough stuff, the dark stuff. God looks past the outward stuff. Listen, listen, listen. Yes. Saul. Everybody say King Saul. First king. Everybody knew who Saul was. The first king. He was morally better than David. Morally looked like he never slept with a woman. David did. Saul never murdered, at least unjustly. Outwardly, by all standards, he had it way more together than David did. But he had a dirty heart. He had a dirty heart. And, and he, wanted to, he wanted to look holy. David wanted to be holy. There's a difference. There is such a difference. God doesn't want any of us, he doesn't want any of you to look holy. Save your clergy collar. Burn it too while you're at it. I have thought about wearing those. But if I stop wearing these skinny jeans, the young people will stop coming. Oh, that's a joke. That's a joke. And they're not skinny jeans anyway. I look like a pear. He doesn't, he doesn't care how we look. He doesn't care how we look. I want the real thing. I want the real Jesus. I want the real. And listen, I don't even, I'm to the point to where, you, full disclosure. I think, I think if I'm being really honest, I'm really digging really hard in my life. Like my wife will tell you, I go to them and I say, what do I need to work on? I hold myself to the fire. Like she doesn't even have to. I ask my kids, how am I doing? I let them tell me. Like that I don't have to, because I know that they'll keep, they'll keep me holy. Dad, put down your phone because I want to be a better, I want to be a better dad than I am this. Because I do this a lot shorter time than I do that. You understand what I'm saying? God, God wants holy people. Holy, pure, righteous. People who look like him. Like when you get squeezed, you, you, you don't, you know, have to jump in the car and start, you know, letting it all out and just don't. God really wants a pure people set apart for himself, usable for the master. I told you guys I had a dream. You know, it was about my old pastor who died. Mega church exploding in 12 years that went from four to 10,000 like that. Boom. And then he died. I don't want to go in the, de the details of what happened, but I had a dream recently and he was alive in the dream. Now I know he represented something. He represented, he was a symbolism. You understand symbolisms if you're a dreamer. 
And it's like I felt the Holy Spirit. I said, Jesus, why aren't you doing, why aren't you doing what you did before? And I immediately, without me even thinking, the Lord said, there's not many I can trust right now. There's not many I can trust. If people get promoted too early, listen, I'm telling you, if you are not ready, the glory of God, the power of God, the favor of God could ruin you if you're not ready. I've seen it. My contemporaries, 21 years, I've watched my contemporaries love Jesus. Like, man, he used to really love Jesus. What's he doing? What is that on his social media page? What is that? What is she doing? This, this is a person who got me on fire for the Lord. Why? They didn't stay close to the heart of God. But this is what I was going to tell you. I remember. Thank you, Jesus. I think if I'm being really honest, I wanted revival more than I wanted Jesus. If I'm being honest, I think, I, I think if I'm being really honest, I wanted to see healings more than I wanted to be close to him. I think if I'm being really honest, I wanted a book more than I wanted him. Y'all don't want to be honest with me? Most people want the platform not because it makes them closer to Jesus. I told you I look like Cinderella. When I finally got this thing, I look like Cinderella cleaning them floors for the church. Like, don't bother me. Any, any promotion to me was like, you're interrupting my secret place. Because God wants secret place, not status. He's not looking to build your Facebook likes and, you know, following and TikTok. He's not looking to build that. He's looking to build his kingdom. Say, so he's looking to build his kingdom and his character in me. Yeah, yeah. And, and all this process, I'm, I'm almost done. If you think about it, Jesus, he was 12 years old. You don't hear nothing about Jesus. I said this the other day. Remember when he was in the synagogue? He was found teaching and answering questions. And then he answered mom and dad arrogantly. And he said, you know, I must be about my father's business. Like when I grew up and you said that to mom, like my mom comes to me and try to grab me from behind the pulpit. And I said, mother, I must be about my father's business. I would have got hammered. Like it was a little on the disrespectful side, but then you see not, not a word from Jesus, not a word, not a scripture for 18 years. Why? Process. And then after the process, he doesn't do his first miracle until he's led of the Spirit into the wilderness. By the what? Who's he led by? Come on, say it. Who was he led by into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? The Holy Spirit. If you looked in the life of Joseph, do you see how he ran into that man and said, hey, your brothers went that way? Some scholars believe that was an angel of the Lord showing him where the pit was. That's heavy. Hardship is because God loves us. Betrayal, you know what betrayal is to me? I kind of see it now. I've been, it's happened many times. The key is keeping your love on and keeping your heart open while still having thick skin. Now that, that's hard, but you can get there. Because if you shut everybody off and don't trust anybody, then you stop receiving from him. But you know what I see? Every trial, every tragedy, now my, I'm, I'm getting it. It's coming into focus. As, 
the hand of God, every pit, every trial, every betrayal, I'm like, every betrayal should just say, thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you are my constant, that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And, and when people talk about you, just, just look that, remember when Jesus said, if they spoke evil of you, if they spoke evil of me, they'll speak evil of you. Come on, there's an identification happening. You should rejoice, the Bible says. Every trial. Can you stand to your feet? I know. I, I really want to dig deep into this story. Because every, yes. It was like this. The holy of holies. The pit was making him ready, bringing him one step closer to the Holy of Holies where the glory of God dwelt. Listen, we cannot have the glory nor the presence of God. Think about it. Do you remember when they would make the sacrifice? Now, if that lamb was spotted, it would, it would determine how much of the glory of God would come. Are y'all hearing me? If it was spotted, like some of our sacrifices, if we're honest, like I'm just going to tell you the way it is. If the only time you sacrifice for Jesus is when you come in here and lift your hands, you're not doing him a favor. You, you are not doing him a favor. I'm not trying to keep you. So does that mean? Here's what I want to teach you, though. The more you allow him to take, the more he gives of himself. He takes from you. But don't mistake. Because it, he's, what he's doing, taking. He'll take a relationship. He'll take a status. He'll take something. And he wants to make room for himself. And what we do is we give him spotted stuff. Stuff that don't cost nothing. When, I, when we give him something, may it cost us something. Because it cost him everything. It cost him everything. He did that so he could be close to you. So why would you not let that thing go? Amen. So when the sacrifice happened, it brought him one, one step closer to the Holy of Holies. When, you, when, they, when he went through the sacrificing at the showbread, what represents the broken body of Christ, it brought him one step closer. The intercession brought him one step. Inter, intercession is not intercession until it costs you something. And it costs you something. It costs you time. Agony. I ought to play that one day, Leonard Ravenhill, when he talked about agony. It, co it should cost us something. Our relationship with Jesus would cost, will cost us something. Say, my relationship with the Lord will cost me something. I want everybody to lift their hands right now if you can. As you lift your hands, I want you to visualize yourself surrendering to God's process for you, whatever it is. You might be in a pit. Maybe you're past that. Maybe, maybe it's you feel like, you know, he was sold into slavery. I don't know what it is, but that represents being out of control when you're enslaved to something. Like there's something happening in your life that your prayers aren't changing it, that your money's not changing it. That's slavery. Whatever it is, I want you to see that 
thing as being the sovereignty of God moving in your life, but you, you see it as loss, but you know what God sees it? I'm drawing him closer. I'm drawing her closer into the holy of holies so that when they are finally processed, when I finally have finished my work in them, they will be welcomed. They will be able to handle my glory and my presence and my power in their life. So whatever it is, I want you to surrender to that thing. Surrender to the not knowing what's going to happen next. Surrender to the outcome of what all the possibilities. Surrender the mistrust as you're in the middle of the squeezing and the chastening of the Lord. Come on, surrender. Just Everybody just lift their hands. And I want you to even say this out loud. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I surrender to your chastening. I surrender to the purification process. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.